the message and different things. And then out of the blue, like a lightning strike, here's what comes to my head. Anybody got any clue? Just like name that tune if you're over 50, you know what that is, right? Any clue what I just hummed? I'll give you some words, ready? It's the most wonderful time of the... Like, okay, Todd, it's October. And when that song came into your head, it wasn't even October. It was just September, what, 28th? Uh, no, 21st. So I'm jogging thinking, why in the world am I singing a Christmas song, right? But as I was thinking about today's message, listening to that message in my ears as well, I realized something, and this is, I'm just speaking to you very transparently. This month is the most wonderful time of the year to me at First Family. You know why? Because in October, we get to look very closely and intently at our missionary God and His all-out rescue effort to save a people unto Himself. And I like January through September, and I love November and December, but I must be frank with you, October is the most wonderful time. I love talking about missions. And especially the singular word, God's mission to save people. And so welcome to Go Month at First Family. What I think is the most wonderful time of the year. This month, there'll be a lot that'll be happening. International dinner on the last Sunday night. Uh, We've got the Pumpkin Party, which is a citywide outreach. There'll be messages each week that'll be focused on the Great Commission. Your Lighthouse is actually going through a book called Finish the Mission, which is kind of in tandem with our series and month, but yet it's a different study in some ways. Uh, There's a number of things happening. I have a guest speaker next week who is the founder and director of the Timothy Initiative, which is a church planting organization uh, in a lot of unreached areas. Different things happening. One of the things that I'll be mainly responsible for is to make sure that we understand the Great Commission, thus the title of our new series for these four weeks. Say it with me. Understanding the Great Commission. Now, when I said that just now, most of you, because you have some church background, said this to me. Oh, my goodness, another message about why I need to move to Zimbabwe. You probably thought that. You thought, here comes the guilt. I shouldn't live in America. I shouldn't drive a new car. I probably should sell my house and give away all my money. Here it comes, four weeks of guilt. You misunderstand the Great Commission. I won't give you four weeks of guilt, but I'll give you four weeks of honesty. Can you live with that? At the end, if you still feel like you should sell your car and your house and move, that's between you and God. But what I don't want to do is base decisions on a wrong understanding of Scripture, which I think sometimes we unintentionally have, especially about the Great Commission. Now, it is an important section of Scripture. It's the last words of Jesus. Did you know that? It's mentioned in every gospel, four times there, and then in Acts. So five times we have recorded for us the last thing Jesus said. You could almost call this series the final instructions, the last words of Jesus. We're going to analyze them this month. So as we make decisions about our life's aim. We are making those decisions with the clearest, and I use the word simplest, not that it's simple or um, it's uncomplicated, that we we make our decisions based on the most uncomplicated, clearest understanding of the last words of Jesus. Is that a deal? And we're going to take our focus from Matthew's perspective of his last words. So take your Bibles, locate Matthew 28, would you? I want to approach this text, this aversion, this account, I should say, of, um, of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I want, to, I want to approach it from two angles. I want to take a historical, textual approach first, all right? We'll see what it meant then. What the words mean. Was it ever fulfilled? Did it happen? 
How does this look? How did this look in the first century? And then, in closing, I want to ask, kind of ask ourselves, how does this look now? And we're going to interact then with this wall of the unreached. You'll see some post-it notes from the first service. We'll explain what those are about. We'll be praying a lot for this. So that's kind of where we're headed today. If you have questions, <clears throat> please text them in. I won't take them live in the service, but this is a subject dear to my heart, and I want to help you walk through it along with our elders and global outreach team. I may even kind of give some of those questions out uh, to them this week, and we'll be in touch with you about those answers. So please, interact with us with questions. We want to always make sure we're hearing from you. But I won't take them live in the service because there's so much here in my heart that I want to share with you about the Great Commission. Here's Matthew's account of it. Let's just just read it together. I'll read all the um, verses throughout the month, okay? We'll take verses 16 through 20 throughout the month. But this week, I just want to focus on the actual words of Jesus, what he said, what were his last words. We'll look at them textually, kind of historically. Then we'll look at things applicationally. Here's what Jesus said. Here's his last words from Matthew's perspective. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There it is. Now, if you're at 30,000 feet, here's some things you would know about these last words, all right? We're doing a fly over here. Let's just be really honest about some initial observations. It's short. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, most folks' last words are like, okay, I've got a few things to say, and they'll go 20, 30, 40 minutes. We'll have a last will and testament that's several pages, exclusions and clauses. And Jesus kind of did it pretty simply and short. He said, hey, by the way, as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them, and I'll be with you. See you. And he's gone. It's, it's, it's short. It's simple. It's like uncomplicated. It's also quite sovereign. You know, Jesus didn't ask for permission. He didn't take a vote. He just said, oh, by the way, I have all authority now. Here's your marching orders. It's also sequential. I like how there's this idea that you baptize them and you teach them. This is what we're doing as we're going And all of that seems to comprise this idea of making disciples. So there's some of a sequential nature to it. And then I think lastly we see that it's sustainable. Because he says, I'm with you always. So the the sense is that you're going to keep on doing this. And don't worry, I will empower you to be able to keep on doing it. So that's just some initial observations. We won't camp out there. But if you were just to take the whole Great Commission... The entirety of his last words, you could say it's sovereign, it's short, it's simple, it's sequential, it's sustainable. And yet, those observations don't really get to the heart of what he's asking. They leave us feeling good about it. We applaud that. But we may still wonder, what did he actually tell us to do? For the answer to that question, we have to ask ourselves, what is the primary main verb in these last words? The only main verb, the only imperative verb in these last words of Jesus are the words, make disciples of all nations. All right? In fact, let me just further cement this. You see the word go? Most people in church assume that's the commission, but it's not. It's a participle just like baptizing and teaching. Now, in most translations, they don't put the ing on the word go. But in the Greek language, it's in the same uh, sense as baptizing and teaching. It's a participle. In other words, the Great Commission, I think, most literally should read like this. So as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. In other words, going and baptizing and teaching are what we do as we spiritually reproduce other disciples who then go and baptize and teach, as they spiritually reproduce other disciples, who then also, as they're going, they're baptizing and teaching other folks who are spiritual disciples. Do you get the point here? It's like this multiplication thing happening. 
That's really what's happening here. The main verb is the idea of making disciples of all nations. Now, you may say, well, Todd, I disagree. I think it's the words make disciples. You, you threw all nations in there. That's not true. And I think for years I thought the Great Commission was make disciples, but that's not true. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. For instance, let me give you an example. And I hope this challenges you appropriately. I really do. The words, the, the verb make disciples is the imperative verb of all nations is in an accusative case, which means it's like the direct object. And if you don't have a direct object, you're not really sure the extent of the command. True? We may have some grammarians here who will testify to this. You have to have a direct object to know what is the point of the verb. Example. I gather my kids around me. I say to them, I want to throw a party. So, go invite. They're like, all right, Dad, throws good parties? All right, yeah, we're in, Dad, we're in. Yeah, let's do it. Go invite. So, Brandon looks at Brett like, hey, um, yeah, I like the party. Who are we inviting? And Bethany says, she chimes in, I think you know who Dad likes, who his friends are. Yeah. And then Brooke's like, well, you probably shouldn't leave out. And so they had this discussion, who we should invite. So they said, well, let's ask him. Okay, yeah. Hey, Dad, we're really stoked about the party. Who do we invite? No, no, no. Go invite. The Father has spoken. They're like, okay. Um, so they kind of huddle and they get their spouses in. Meredith comes in. Matt gets in. Okay, yeah. Dad said he's throwing a great party. He says invite. So um, good luck. Let's go. My suspicion is there wouldn't be a lot of invitees, and if there were, they would be very shaky at best. Like, oh, I, th- I think he wants you to come. Uh, maybe check the front door when you get there. I mean, who knows how that would go, right? But if I said this, go invite the neighborhood. In fact, hey, kids, I'm throwing a party. Go invite all the neighborhood. They could then clearly, with authority, Carry out my instructions. Even if Brett were to say, you know what? I'm just going to invite the folks on the far end of Southeast 3rd Street. I'm not inviting the folks on the other side. Brandon could say, Brett, that's not what Dad said. Dad said, invite all the neighborhood. Now, Brett can say, well, I didn't like that. Brett can say, I don't get that. Brett could say, I don't like them. But guess what Brett couldn't do as my son? He couldn't change the instructions. Why? Because I had given it a direct object to explain the verb. Invite all the neighborhood. Bethany might say, man, I don't know how we're going to get that done. There's only four of us, two spouses, and a, a little grandson. How's this going to work? Then Brooke might say, well, I'm an event planner. You know what? I'll figure this out. I'll give everybody jobs. We'll make this happen. I mean, they, they might figure they have some freedom. But what they couldn't do is change the instructions. They may have freedom to figure out how to carry it out. But the direct object of my command, all the neighborhood, really gives clarity to the idea of invite, doesn't it? So if you take away all nations from make disciples, you are left probably with some sense of like, well, I, he said make disciples, so I, I guess we just, I'm not sure what he meant, but let's just give it a good shot. It's the phrase, it's the object, all nations, that I think brings the extent of the verb into play. How many disciples? Disciples in every single ethnic group. That's the extent of the command we were given. You see, the word nations here is not a geographical word like we would think. Don't think boundaries. Think ethnicities. In fact, that's the actual word here. The Greek word is ethnos. So in a literal fashion, here's what Jesus was saying. I want you to, as you go about your life, As you go back to Jerusalem, I want you to make disciples without distinction to their ethnicity. How do you think a Jew heard that? Well, Jesus, that's really nice that you'd say that, but we are the Jews. And we got the law first. We were taken from Egypt to the promised land. I mean, there's a sense, you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, you get this. There's a sense that the Jews had a, had a national ethnic arrogance about them. And when Jesus said, hey, by the way, guys, you go and reproduce yourself without distinction to ethnicity, 
and I want this to happen in all ethnicities. He was saying that the ground of the cross, the ground of the cross is level. That there, There's no better or worse. In other words, we all come by grace. Get this message out. Does that make sense? So at its core, and I'm being very factual, textual, historical with you, the Great Commission is really spiritual reproduction without ethnic distinction. That's the core of the Great Commission. What did Jesus tell these 11 people, these 11 guys to do? He said, spiritually reproduce yourself without any ethnic distinction. Go to all nations. Now, I think it's important that you understand this is a global directive. He said, make disciples of what? Of where? Of whom? All nations. And, and I think unintentionally somehow we've taken this command, which has at its root this idea of no distinction based on ethnicity. And we've turned it to like a local tip, like this really good idea from Jesus if you want to work it into your schedule. And so we've kind of said, well, if you get around to it, just get a cup of coffee with someone and say you're going to disciple them. And we kind of made it like optional. You know, if you're really spiritual and involved in church, you, you really are, you're, you, you disciple someone else. And those who aren't really spiritual, well, they'll get around to that one day. I don't think that's what's happening in Matthew 28, 19. 20. I think what we have is this incredible, impossible global directive. Reproduce yourself in every ethnicity without any distinction. That's the heart of these verses. Now, when you hear that, I hope you have this thought. That's impossible because it is. I want you to just be okay with that. What those 11 guys heard was humanly impossible. I mean, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, like Delta, JetBlue, United. There were no friendly skies. Are you with me? It was like a horse and two feet. Maybe some very uh, uh, ancient form of travel. So when Jesus says, hey, by the way, here's my last words. As you go about your life, make sure in every single ethnicity there are followers of me. How do you think they heard that? Like, whoa, whoa, wait. Can we have a few more instructions, please? And then he ascends. He's gone. I want the, the weight of that to, to grip you because that is exactly, I'll just lead the, lead the charge here. That's how I feel when I read Matthew 20. I'm like, man, does God know what he's asking? Does God really know what he's calling us? Does he want us to make disciples in every ethnic group? Wow, do you know how many there are? But this is what Jesus said. And so whether we get it, understand it, like it, or want to do it, we can't, what, change what he said. He said, reproduce yourself without distinction in every ethnicity. And when you hear that, you may think, well, is that a new idea? Is that something like, okay, we've kind of come this far now. I've died. I've rose again. Here's the new way we're going to do it. Not at all. In fact, I would contend with you, and I could prove this biblically. The Great Commission is a repeated thought. Do you know that? It's Jesus' words, sure. It's almost as if you're saying, everywhere you're going, reproduce yourself without distinction to ethnicity so that there are followers of me in every ethnicity. He's saying that, but he didn't just necessarily think of that. Like, hey, I have this new idea, this new paradigm, this new uh, thought. This has always, listen church, this has always been God's heart to bring worshipers from every nation to his throne. This has always been the plan of God. In fact, let me show you this. Listen very carefully. And I hope this is challenging you and, th- and giving you th- things to think about as you process, do you really understand the Great Commission? Genesis 12, 3, when God sovereignly chose Abraham to be the father of, of his people, he made this promise. He said, I will, I will make you a father of a great nation. I will bless you. And then he said this, through you, watch this now, All the nations of the earth 
will be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. All the nations will be blessed. So all the way back to Abraham's time, God made a promise. And I, believe, I think the Great Commission is Jesus reiterating how that promise is going to come true. You guys go, make disciples of all nations because that's God's heartbeat to bless every ethnic group. And it's not just God's passion and pursuit. It's actually God's promise. He will do it. Let me show you how this is threaded through the Old Testament. Watch this. Not only in Genesis 12, 3, but four other times in Genesis, we hear the idea of God's heart for the nations. Every nation blessed because of God's pursuit of a people to himself. In the Old Testament history of narratives, we see things like uh, people coming out of Egypt. Yes, Egyptians leaving with the children of Israel. We see Rahab at Jericho following the Lord. We see Ruth, a Moabitess, trusting the Lord. We see Jonah preaching to Ninevites. We see Daniel um, in the middle of a foreign empire, yet many of them coming back to Jerusalem with Daniel. See, God's heart has always been for the nations. It's exemplified in their history. It's repeated in their poetry. Several times in the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, the poetic books, we have a reference to God's heart for the nations a hundred times in Psalms alone. God's heart has always been global. That there be followers from every single ethnic group. In the prophets, there are over 39 passages that talk about God's heart for the nations. Not just the nation of Israel, but all the nations, all the ethnicities. There are 17 just in Isaiah, in the Gospels. Every single Gospel showcases Jesus Christ reaching beyond just national Israel. My favorite one is John 4, the Samaritans. It's within asking the disciples to look um, at the coming Samaritans. They're coming out of the city to the, to the well to meet a man who told this lady everything she'd ever done. Remember that story in John 4? All these Samaritans are coming out, and that's the situation when Jesus says, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they're white to harvest. It was just some Jewish guys who were watching Samaritans come to, meet, come to meet them. That's crazy. God's heart has always been for the nations. How does the Bible end? With the nations gathered around the throne. Revelation 5, Revelation 7. Here in Revelation 22, the name, the word nations is mentioned. So from Genesis 12 to Revelation 22, what has been God's heartbeat? I'm passionately pursuing worshipers from every single ethnicity. There is no distinction. So when the disciples are now left to carry the mission of Jesus forward, it's not really a new thought that Jesus says, hey, by the way now, Make disciples of all the nations. That's been God's heart all along. That's why this global directive, this this universal command, really gives us a picture into God's passion and pursuit, which in turn means that this should be our mission. If you ever wonder, what is the mission of the church? What is the real mission of my life? Where should I point my life? What's the target at which I should aim? The same thing God's been aiming at since the beginning. Worshippers from every single nation. All right? This is the heart of God. And this is the action of the church. Now maybe you're wondering, well, Todd, has that ever happened? Because I'm feeling a load of guilt right now. Man, you promised no guilt, but I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling like I've got to really adjust some things. I've got to move. I, I mean, worshipers from every nation, wow. How does that happen? Has it ever happened before? Here's some good news. I personally believe, and there'll be some disagreement among missiologists on this and some theologians, but I think I can make a strong, very strong little case that God has actually accomplished this initially to give us an example that it can be done even now. The Great Commission, which has its roots in Genesis 12, 3, and its ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 22, the Great Commission isn't like God saying, I need to keep you busy. <laughs> we think that, don't we? Man, God must really want to keep me busy until he comes back, so he's giving me this task that really can't be done. We can't really get it accomplished. We can't really do it. It's just like this good idea. That's crazy, guys. I believe the Great Commission is accomplishable. 
partly because I believe it has been accomplished at a certain point in history. As language groups expand, then we continue to try to accomplish it. I, for one, there might not be anyone else around me right now, I don't know, but I firmly, theologically, scripturally believe the Great Commission is doable. And I see my role in this church right now is leading the charge to say, will you join me in this effort? Let me prove it to you. If you take the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and say, where has this happened? All you do is flip to the book of Acts. In fact, why don't you do that? Find Acts chapter 1, in which here is the fifth time we see the last words of Jesus, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you'll be witnesses, and then he lists these areas. What? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so he's now kind of identifying where they're going. The participle there in Matthew 28, as you're going. Where will they be going? They'll be going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's where they're going. And what are they to do? They're to actually make disciples, which means they're going to baptize people in the name of Christ and teach them to obey Christ. Did this happen? Yes. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says that on the day of Pentecost, present in Jerusalem, this is verse 5, were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. I want you to think with me through this, okay? So at Pentecost, historically, the Bible says that there were devout Jews. If you go to verse 9, you'll see the word proselytes. So there were people who were Jewish and people who were non-Jewish. And they mentioned things like Libya, uh, other nations and other geographical regions, other ethnicities. These were the nations under heaven right there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came, which Jesus said, I'll be with you, right? So here's the, the realization of Matthew 28. The Holy Spirit's with them, empowering them with this gift of tongues. They speak the gospel in all of the languages of the known world at that moment because they have people there, Jews and proselytes, from every nation under heaven. They speak this, and 3,000 people get saved. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 5, verse 9. And then about Acts 2.41, it says, Acts 2.40, that they received his word. They heard it. And then it says this. They were what? Say it with me. Baptized. And then Acts 2.42 says this. They then listened to the apostles' teaching, and they shared other things, and they met together. What do you have there? You have the 11 disciples preaching the gospel as they were going about, people hearing it, getting baptized in the name of Christ, and then obeying everything they were taught. That's the Great Commission. And it's my personal belief that on the day of Pentecost, the gospel did reach the known world in the ears of all the nations under heaven who were there. Now, does that mean it's done forever? No, it's an initial completion. And I think for this reason, for God saying this to us, guys, I haven't asked you to do a divinely impossible task. I can get this done. Here's one case in which it was actually... Done. Now, now, you may say, well, Todd, did everybody get saved? No. But every ethnic group heard of God's glory and fame. And from every nation under heaven, God drew worshipers that day. If you follow Acts on, chapter 8, when they were persecuted and spread out. Chapter 10, when they, uh, Peter goes to Cornelius' home, who was a Gentile. Chapter 13, when uh, the folks at Antioch and Paul and, I think, Barnabas on their missionary journey to regions that no one knew about yet. And then Acts 21 to 28, when Paul goes by himself uh, to regions that, that had not yet been explored, some think even Spain, what were, the, what were those trips? That was Paul taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And if you follow Acts, you find Acts 1-8 completely fulfilled. Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria, Acts 8 through 12. And the ends of the earth, Acts 13 through 28. You see, I think in those two ways, we have some sense of an initial example of what the Great Commission looks like completed. Now, why? So you can sit on your laurels, and I can sit back and say, well, man, it's done. No. To give us the confidence and the faith that, you know what, what Jesus left is his last words. Let me just put it to you straight, guys. It's doable. Not because we're anything great, but because God is 
is powerful. Amen? So the church doesn't sit and look at a set of marching orders and think, well, man, I guess we'll do that, but I don't know why. I'm here to say to you with all clarity and honesty, we have a set of marching orders, and it's actually completable. God told us to make disciples without distinction to any ethnicity so that there would be followers in every ethnicity. He told us that with the understanding that we would actually do it and try to accomplish it. Now, will it happen in our lifetime? I don't know. I'll tell you what I pray. I pray that God would let me be a part of seeing that completed. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? That God would save someone in every single language group and you could watch that? Man, what what a privilege that would be. Only God's sovereignty knows if that will happen in our lifetime. It may be a 500 years away. I don't know. But man, I, I want to do what I can. I want to be as in as possible seeing God's glory in every nation, in every ethnicity. And that's what our church should be aiming at. That's the target goal. You say, Todd, how do you know it will be done? First of all, he promised Abraham. And in Revelation, we see a person from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue around the throne. So we know it gets done, right? I'm just praying that I get to watch it. I don't know if that's selfish or what, but man, I'm praying that God would use me and our church to make disciples of all the nations. That's what he said to do. And you may not get it, understand it, or like it, but it doesn't change the clearest, uncomplicated message he left us. Make disciples every ethnic group. When you hear all that and you see it take place in Acts, I think there's a, I'll call them four hooks I want you to hang some thoughts on. Let me just mention these briefly to you, really. I kind of said them already, but I need to kind of give you some, some succinct thoughts to hang all this on. First of all, That Great Commission is implicitly about spiritual reproduction and multiplication. That's the first hook. I think I've alluded to this. I've said it. But I want to be painfully clear with you. The Great Commission is implicitly about spiritual reproduction and multiplication. In fact, I would say it's not even about addition. I don't know the Great Commission is about adding people. It's about multiplying in ethnicities. Does that make sense? Now, there's some disagreement here, and don't hear me say that certain people aren't important. Don't hear me say that, that we shouldn't do our job at home. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to give us the clearest historical textual understanding of what Jesus said. And it seemed to be he was saying, don't just add people. Seek to get the gospel and the disciple in every group, in every language. That seems to be what he's after. Here's what that doesn't mean, and I need to just challenge you on this. It doesn't mean that you say to your friend, hey, um, why don't we go get coffee at Cafe Diem and we'll sit and talk about the book of Job and we'll, we'll disciple each other. Now, I realize some of you right now are kind of angry at me. You're like, Todd, you just kind of called out what I'm doing. What you're doing is a good thing, but what you're doing may not be the Great Commission. There is no way I'll ever believe theologically, textually, historically, scripturally, that when those 11 heard Jesus say, make disciples of all nations, that he meant, go back to Jerusalem, find another Christian, and talk about the Old Testament. He didn't mean that. Inherent and implicit is this idea that you are going to find new recruits. Now, I realize right now I'm probably one against about 200. (laughs) You're like, Todd... You're dogging Bible study. No, I'm not. And I'm not dogging you meet with somebody to grow. I'm not dogging that at all. I'm trying to help us use terms and words correctly. Because I think the Great Commission at some point doesn't begin with two Christians. It begins with a Christian and a non-Christian. Or else why would you baptize them, right? At some point they're realizing, oh, this is the message that Jesus died, rose again, is the only way to be saved. I believe. I identify with him. Great, let's baptize you. That's the first step. That's the sequence. Baptize them. 
Oh, let me teach you what he said now. Oh, he said do this, this. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm obeying. And by the way, it's not just teaching. It's teaching people to obey. Amen, right? America's full of folks who love to meet at coffee shops and get knowledge, and they leave and go criticize their spouse and hoard their money and watch porn. The Great Commission is about teaching people to obey. So somewhere inherent in this Great Commission to those 11 was, I'm going back to Jerusalem, and somehow he's going to be with me, and I'm going to meet people, and I should not regard their ethnicity. I should instead share the news, because in every ethnicity, there's going to be disciples. Okay, if you're going to use me to reproduce that, I'll do it. That's kind of the heartbeat of it, guys. So I hope you hear that okay. It's about reproduction, multiplication. It was inaugurated. Here's a second hook to hang your hat on here, Billy. It was inaugurated in Acts initially, and I think at least fulfilled to a certain degree to the known language groups there. I think in the beginning of Acts it was, and even as Paul entered his life, the gospel got to the known world. I think Acts 1.8 is completed in Acts. But language groups develop, cultures emerge, to where today we have over 6,500, at least from what missiologists tell us, various still unreached people groups. Now, I would disagree with that a tad, by the way, just to show you how I'm thinking through this. I tend to think that just because they are unreached people group, if they speak a common language with another group, we could probably combine those. Now, this gets into a little missiology here. I won't go into it in depth, except to say this. I'm more of the opinion that Radius shares, that's a mission training school in California, I would tend to agree with them that probably there's somewhere between three and 4,000 unreached language groups. Uh, but people groups is a good word to use, and I'm okay if we pray for 6,600, okay? Praying for unreached groups is still a great thing, amen, whether there's 3,000, 4,000, or 7,000. My point is, there are still unreached culture and language groups who have no distinct, sustainable gospel presence. Could we make a disciple? Could we reproduce ourselves in every one of those? Because that's the Great Commission, right? It has happened. We're still called to do it. Could we do that? Now, you're thinking right now, Todd, that's crazy. No way. Well, actually, you're crazy. Watch this. And somebody's got a calculator. Get your phone out and do the math here. I think it's actually doable and possible. It was shown in Acts as inaugurated, initially completed. We know it will be completed in the future, of course, Revelation. But it is continuing today. So what do we do with this great commission that we want to say, how can we do it? Let's just, um, let's take 10% of the churches in America. There's about 315,000 evangelical Protestant churches in America, okay? Now, we know most of those are probably not very good. They're probably liberal. They probably just you know, read the paper instead of preaching the Bible. So we'll just take 10% of them. We'll take 31,500 churches that we say have a decent understanding that their aim, their target is the gospel to every ethnic group. If there are, let's take the highest number, if there are 6,600 still unreached groups, and by the way, most missiologists and culturalists will tell you there's about 13 plus, there's 13,000 plus language groups on the globe. Out of those 13 plus thousand, let's say 6,600 6, are probably still unreached approximately. So let's divide 6,600 of the remaining unreached groups by just 10% of the churches in America. What does that give us? Someone tell me. 31,500 into 6,600. Just shout it out if you get the answer. Who's got a phone handy, a calculator? Anybody doing it? I'm waiting. Eh. Four or five? Okay. So that would mean this. If my math is correct, and I'm going to blame it on David, it's not. (laughs) That if we just banded with four or five other churches to reach one people group who has no distinct sustainable gospel presence. We could band with four or five other churches just to get the gospel to that one. If we did that 6,600 times, we'd have every unreached group reached. I don't know how long that'll take or how much it'll cost, but I know the last words of Jesus were to make 
that his words were to make disciples of all nations. So I'm thinking, okay, in every ethnic group, there needs to be a disciple. So let's take aim at that. What if just 10% of the churches in America rallied around that and partnered together and said, okay, we'll take this one. <laughs> Guys, can I just be honest with you? You can focus on one unreached group. You could. Now, I don't have one to bring before you today. I'm showing you what, I'm showing you how possible the Great Commission actually is because you tend to think, oh, that's, that's just busy work. We can't really get it done. I disagree. We can get it done through the power of God. The Great Commission's doable, possible. And humanly speaking, just think about it. It would just take 10% of American churches to split up into groups of four or five and to adopt an unreached group. And if we go at it like that and, and, and target it, who knows in the next 10 years, maybe in our lifetime, we would actually see disciples of all nations. I'm calling you this morning to believe what Jesus said. That's all, guys. I don't have a bag of tricks. I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty, even though you probably are right now. <laughs> I'm feeling guilty at times. My only goal is to show you that when we read what he said, it's not busy work. It's not theory. It's clear, uncomplicated, and doable. So what do we do with all this then? That's the historical textual. What do we do with that? I think there's just one thing to say. This is the target for every life in church. I didn't say everyone should move to Morocco, did I? I didn't tell you to sell your house, your car. You can do that if you'd like. I'm just trying to make sure that, first of all, we understand what Jesus said. And he said, make disciples in every ethnic group without distinction to ethnicity so that there are followers in every ethnicity. That's what he, what he said. And I'm just saying, I'm in, I'm in. I am in. All I can do right now is pastor this church and plead with you to have the heart of God, the heart of our missionary God for the nations. But I'm going to do that to the very best of my ability and to the last drop of my energy. I don't know what you can do. Maybe you're an engineer at John Deere. And you make really good money. Will you give more away? Yeah, I'm going to ask you that. Will you give specifically to people who are in areas where there are unreached groups? Maybe you're a prayer and more than most. Will, will you take some names of unreached groups and say, I will pray for these by name. Maybe you're a mobilizer. Will you gather some folks around you? Will you train them? Will you give them a heart for the nation? Will you take them on a trip with you? My goal this morning is not to get you to move somewhere else. My goal this morning is to get you focused on what Jesus has said. And he simply asked every single person, make disciples of all nations. This is the aim of my life, the aim of our church, the aim of your life. This is what we're after. And I would be so bold to say this, any life not about that is probably at best misguided, at worst disobedient. We're so distracted with so many things. Those things aren't bad, but instead of just letting them exist, let's use them for God's heart and passion for the nations. Use your job to see nations reached. Use your home to see nations reached. Use your vehicle, your money, your relationships. Let all of that be tools. Say, God, it's all in the line, all at your disposal, everything I've got. Reach the nations. You're already going. The question is not going. The question is one of focus. And I would this month, I want to call our church to a focus like we've never known in 11 years. God, reach the nations through whatever you can do in this church. I'm in, okay? Our staff is in. I asked every one of them point blank, by the way. I told them at a meeting that I was going to ask them that individually. They all kind of nodded like, okay, that would be a fun meeting. Thanks, Todd. We appreciate that, you know. But I met with them all individually, one-on-one, eyeball-eyeball, and I said, hey, I want to know. You got any questions about what it means to reach the nations? They asked questions. And then I said, are you in? To a person, we're in. So on behalf of our staff, myself, we're going to lead this with authenticity and honesty. We're in. You know why? Because 
this is God's heart and passion. And we want God's passion to be our mission. I trust you do as well. Here's two folks who are also in. They're just like you. They're not uh, these, you know, incredible journeyers to the other side of the world. They're just people who work jobs here and they go to this church. But they're in. I want you to meet them hear their story as we close this morning. Watch this, would you? I am Nick Mail. And I'm Julie Mail. We've been going to First Family for about four and a half years. And this is the story of God's work in our lives. I went on a missions trip when I was in high school to Brazil. And when I was there, I met a nurse. And she said that that was one of the greatest outreaches that you could have was medical missions. Just that there was a lot of opportunities to share Jesus while working in a hospital or doing clinics in villages. And that was just something that was like, I don't know, really hit me as something that I could do. Like, I'm not a great public speaker, don't have very many talents, but I could take care of people. So I went to college with the intent of being a medical missionary, so I got my nursing degree. Along the way, she met me uh, on our first date. She told me that she could, couldn't go on any more dates with me, so uh, <laughs> she knew where she was headed, and uh, she figured I probably wouldn't be uh, on board, and I, I kind of halted her and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> uh, she had uh, talked about her um, possibility of of going to Africa and working with uh, different patients and um, it's just so happened I, I have a grandma who uh, spent uh, 15 years in uh, Liber- Liberian Ivory Coast and so that wasn't completely foreign the idea of, of spending spending a good portion of your life overseas um, being a missionary. So over the years we we've always had that in our heads that that's something that we wanted to do but it kind of has always seemed like when I was ready to go, maybe Nick wasn't. Or when he was ready to go, I wasn't. And three of our four kids were preemies. And kind of looking back, we could see that maybe the times that we had been ready to go, if we had gone, our kids might not have made it if we were somewhere else. It's been kind of a frustrating period of time. Like, we have this desire in our hearts, and it just always seems like when we want to go, there's one reason or another that it doesn't work. When it doesn't work out the way you think, um, it's just kind of a deflated feeling like, well, I guess we'll just sit and wait because there's, we're here in America and there's nothing around here for us. And our eyes have kind of been open in the last couple of years to, that that us being goers isn't, doesn't have to do with leaving the United States. Um, it can and it may in the future, and there's a good chance that it would in the future. But uh, right now that means, you know, we have opportunities to go in our in our in Ankeny in Des Moines, um, and uh, to reach people for Christ doesn't have to be you know that you need a plane ticket in in order to do it. It's always been just this heaviness on our heart, like that missions is something that we're supposed to do, and. As we kept getting these messages of waiting for the Lord, I, you know, I was reading and it, go make disciples and love your neighbor as yourself. And these things just, it wasn't, it wasn't a command of God for the future. And I'd say that a couple of years ago, that just really hit me that I didn't need to wait to go. Like, God didn't say, wait until I've given you the sign to make disciples. He just said to go and do it. And I realized that I needed to do a better job of that right where I was at. To realize that 20 minutes down the road, there's a virtual United Nations. I mean, there's people from all over the world and they they need so much. <laughs> they're hungry and they're scared and they're overwhelmed and they just need people to love them. They need people to give them clothes and food and a warm place to live. And that's exactly what Jesus said that we could do to show his love to people. And it was so cool just realizing that even though we're not going anywhere right now where it just hasn't seemed to work out, that it's somewhere where we can easily go just as part of our daily lives. I always thought to be a missionary that it had to be wrapped around a career. And when I started looking into the different options of working with refugees in Des Moines, the thing that kept coming up was teaching English. And I, 
a nurse, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an English teacher. I like I have no zero experience doing any of that. But they said you don't need it. Like you just have to get in there and try. So it's not something that I was trained in at all, but it's their greatest need. And to be able to teach them the same thing that I teach my kids at home, it was just kind of neat to see that during the time of waiting, like where I've been raising our children, the things that I've been doing at home is what God has been using to work with these people. And I always thought of that like, well, I'm, I can see that I'm a teacher here. You know, I teach math here and uh, I can see myself teaching math somewhere else. Uh, it was, it's one of those where I, I thought of just my job, just my teaching and not beyond that. And that's where uh, God has blessed me with a wife that uh, thinks beyond beyond that and, and uh, has really uh, opened the door for our family to get invested in things that when you're overseas and when you're uh, um, you're not just a teacher you know you're not uh, it's all hands it's all hands on deck when you're when you're anywhere and so that's what it should be here as well not just you know I'm, I'm a teacher here but what other opportunities do we have if you are a goer, now's the time to go, whether or not you're staying here or whether you're heading off somewhere. Um, there is a place uh, where you can be a, uh, a great ministry, and uh, sometimes it just takes us opening our eyes a little bit uh, to the place around us. If I could tell anybody anything that I've learned from my journey about missions and what God has my role in it, I would be just to tell people that Jesus loves the nations and that you can tell people about him no matter what color or culture or religion they may be, whether they're next door to you or whether they're down in Des Moines or whether they're across the ocean, you can tell them about Jesus. And when you do, you will be just as blessed as, as they are. I mean, it's amazing to see God work in other people's lives and how that translates through cultures and languages. And God is just awesome and it's amazing to be a part of sharing his story. The males moved from worrying about going to making an issue of focus. And because they knew they were already going, right? Their lives lived in all kinds of places. Will you join them? And this month, let's let's say, God, I'm already going all kinds of places. Help me to focus on your passion for the nations. Make your heart my mission. To do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to engage with me in praying for those who are still unreached. The usher is going to distribute some papers to you now. And if you don't pray for, talk about some guilt, here comes some guilt for you, okay? If you don't pray for your sheet, it won't get prayed for today. We don't have the same copies, but we have one for every person here. And you're going to get a copy of every single, at least humanly known, unreached people group. From 8.30 service, 10.30 service, and Bondurant campus. We're going to try at our, across our services today to pray for every single known unreached language group. So the eight you have, no one's had them all day. That's eight exclusive to you today. Sound booth needs them. If we have left, we're going to keep distributing them. You'll have to maybe at 16, all right? We want to see, at least for a few minutes today, every single known unreached language group prayed for. We can at least do that. Amen, church? And then however else God would lead us, man, we want to be in. Because His heart is for the nations, and He has promised disciples from every nation. What is our role in that? How do we play a part in that? Well, we can at least first, for sure, pray. So take your sheet there, would you? Let's get those distributed. And just go ahead and start praying through them. This may breed a lot of questions. You may wonder exactly what some things mean. I'd encourage you after the service to make your way to the wall of the unreached. Here's a listing of all the unreached groups still in alphabetical form. You have a a listing of eight of them on the wall in front of you is every single one of them known to us currently. Come by, pray for some groups that have no distinct, sustainable gospel presence at all. Are there sheets left, guys? There's one sheet left. Okay, great. Would you start praying?
Just begin to pray for those eight, 16 you have. Take it home with you, post it on your fridge. It's, I think it's one-sided. Is that correct or is it two-sided? Okay, so you have 16 already. I'm sorry. Pray for those today. Right now, I'm going to be quiet and just let you pray for a few minutes. We're going to close with just one or two songs today in communion. We've kind of shortened our ending for this reason. Band's going to play. At some point in the future, I'll just begin to talk you through communion. But while they play, will you pray for those 16 who've yet to hear of God's glory? moment as you approach the tables of communion you'll notice there's some post-it notes on the corner of each stage if you'd like to take a post-it note put your name on it or write a prayer and post it on the wall of the unreached maybe locate the area that corresponds to your specific sheet if it's possible I mean just one or two of them I don't know do that that's what some of these folks have done in first service Come by this week. Engage with the wall of the unreached. Maybe come by once a day at your lunch break. Before you go to work, drive by. Just pop in. Pray for some unreached groups. On your way home, maybe bring your family one night. Grab some Jimmy John sandwiches. Come by here and spend some time praying. Because God loves the nations. He's promised to bless them. And His ordained means of doing so is the Great Commission. The church in action making His passion our mission. So, Lord, I I can't speak of everyone, but I just want to say to you, I'm laying down my life, and I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for your passion, to see your name known among the nations, to see your glory and your fame exalted. And, God, I pray you will bring our church along as well. I'm not asking to reduce any vision for Ankeny at all. I don't want to decrease our love for this city and our embracing of its lostness. Not any in any way do I want anyone from Ankeny to go to hell. But I am praying, God, you'll enlarge our vision. Help us to see beyond our city limits to the view that you have. And that you've had since the beginning of the call of Abraham to make disciples in every single ethnic group. That's what you're doing. And I want in with that. So light a fire in us, God. Blaze within us a yearning to see every, every, people know. Every tongue confess. Stand with me, First Family, would you? Go when you're ready to the tables. Partake of the bread and cup. We'll sing a song that you haven't heard yet. It fits this month's theme very well. Come back to your seat. I'll come back in a moment. We'll remember Jesus. We'll take the elements together and then we'll go out with one or two songs just singing.
So go when you're ready and let's take the bread and the cup and thank the Lord for his grace upon us and commit ourselves to proclaiming that grace without distinction to every ethnicity. (laughs) 